0: summary of where we've been, and then I'll take you through the journey, and then we'll kind of bring you up to date. There are four areas that we're going to cover this month, and again, the goal is to help you look at how you define things. The way you feel about things, if you're angry about something, if you're frustrated about something, I promise it's tied to how you define it. If you define respect a certain way, if people talk to you a certain way, then you'll get angry. You'll be frustrated because you define respect as low volume. If you define respect as looking you in the eyes, if somebody does not look at you in the eyes when they talk, you'll define that as disrespect. The problem with religious people is they have a lot of definitions. They have a lot of ways they define things. They have a lot of ways they see things. And so they, for example, and we'll talk a lot about this today, they define worship a certain way. This, for some people, is not worship. Uh, having the option to stay home for them is not worship. You have to physically come. I want you to come. Come if you want to. Be glad to have you. But I don't define worship as one way, and we'll go through that today. But anyway, in our study, in this this series, I want to cover four main areas. Here they go. Number one, I want to talk about church, and I want to challenge you to redefine church. Uh, A lot of times in our approach to church, we define church by a practice, not a principle. In the first sermon, I talked about that. I said that there's a difference between principle and practice. A principle is the law, thou shalt not kill. That's, that's, that's the principle. And that's something that is absolute that you shouldn't do. Thou shalt not steal. That is a principle. A practice is optional. For example, I believe that we should gather as a church, but that's a principle. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together, the Bible said. But how you practice that can be different. You can do it in person. You can do it at home. You can do it streaming. You can do it different ways. The practice is different. How we worship. We can have worship first as a worship as a goal where we have singers and people sing. That can be the first thing we do or it can be the second thing we do. Or we can go the whole service, not sing at all, and then turn around and have uh, the singing at the end if we want to. It's the, how we practice it is up to us. So it's, it's about principle and practice. And so you want to keep those two things in mind. Here's what gets you in trouble. When you make a practice a principle, when you get them confused. And so, for example, how long church is, that's you know, that's up to us in terms of practice. It can be 30 minutes if we wanted it to be. God wouldn't be upset. It's up to you. It can be an hour. It can be two hours. It can be four hours. Maybe tonight we can go five hours. Okay, not so. Okay, so, so it's about how we choose to practice. And you might say, well, God gives you that kind of option. I'll give you one that may surprise you. Uh, did you know that you don't have to have communion every month? You can have it every day. Or you can have it every, every 30 minutes. It's up to you. He said, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death till he comes. So the practice is up to you. The principle is that you must do it to commemorate his death, burial, and resurrection. You can do it once a year if you want to. So what we get, get in trouble, we get in trouble, we say it has to be practiced this way. And right now, when the world turned upside down, the practices have changed. And so if we get confused, we won't see that properly. So we talked about redefining church in our first sermon. Second sermon, we talked about redefining cash and debt. Now, that's, that's a fun topic, cash and debt. And uh, I, I said, Christians, don't, don't do good with that topic. They get nervous. They get frustrated. They think you're doing something wrong or, you, you know, you're going to go to hell if you talk about money too long. So I talked about it a little bit last week. And I talked about the difference between cash and credit and debt. And I think it's a very uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. Uh, but they want God to give it to them. And I believe that if you're uncomfortable with something, you won't have, you won't have much of it. And and I've seen that in my life. I call it prosperity guilt. So when you get money, guess what you think you got to do? Give it away. And you feel guilty. If somebody asks you for if anybody asks you for some money and, and they say, Can you owe me $50? Do you have fifty? Do you have listen, do you have $50? And you'll say, now you can't lie because you got $150 in your pocket, but you can't lie now. So can I say no? and, and be, be, be okay. If I define giving as a mandate that requires me to give money, no matter what it is, no matter who asks me, if I feel that way, I will then be, you know, I'll give it to them. It'll be grudgingly. And the Bible says don't give money grudgingly. So I, I, I say it this way to people. Yeah, i got 50 dollars, but I don't, I'm not going to give it to you like that. I just tell them no. Is that wrong? No. Bible said, if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm not, re- I'm not responsible to give you $50. Now, I'm generous, okay? I saw a guy one time, he saw me downtown, and it was hilarious. He saw me, and I saw him hitting up somebody uh, before I got out of my car. So I'm trying to help him get out of my car and move out of the way. And he, he he saw me. He said, Oh, my God, one of Savannah's finest pastors. <laughs> he,
1: said,
0: he said, I know I'm going to get somebody today. He said, Oh, he said, You're a legendary. He went through this whole count. And my wife said, just give him some money, Rick. Just give him some money. Just, that was good. It was a good, good, old, good, good line. So I gave him some money, but, but you know, I, I don't feel obligated all the time. I don't, and I think that I don't define that as my responsibility. If you define it as your responsibility, you feel you have to, and so you, I, I think de- defining cash in a good light, in a mature light, is important and being clear about debt, being clear about what's important and how that all works. And we talked about that last week. So go listen to it. Today we talk about redefining worship. And my goal is to get you to broaden your definitions of worship. Now, I have seen a lot of people struggle with this. And and um, and I'll spend a good bit of time here in the next 20 minutes or so talking about them when you to entertain some questions. Uh, so get your questions ready. And if you're home, make sure you get your questions lined up and we'll let you type them in. Good to see you, she, Sheila, dearly, could have you with us. Uh, but if you have questions, um, t- write them down and, and type them in the, in the chat, uh, and they'll be glad to, we'll read them in, in about uh, 20 minutes or so. So let me just say, um, next week we'll talk about family and redefining family. And I think that, again, that's a whole, a whole other conversation about how I see family and how I think family should be. But worship is our focus today, and John chapter 4 is where we're going to start in our study. I thought this would be a great place to start. John chapter 4, verse 23. And it's a story about a woman who Jesus encounters, and he is doing something that is defined as improper. He's talking to a woman in public. And he is not supposed to do that, at least that's culturally, because he's considered to be... a man, a man of the cloth, a man of God, or whatever, prophet. And so his disciples, if you read the story, are shocked when they come back and see him having this conversation with this woman. And it's the woman at the well, so it's in John chapter 4, Here's what it says in verse 23. Yet time, he said, and this is Jesus talking to the woman. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Uh, Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now that's pretty bold. Now, we jumped in the middle of a, of a conversation he had with this woman. And in this conversation, uh, he asked her for some water. She's at a well. And they get in this conversation. And why are you asking me for water? You know, and they go back and forth a little bit. And then worship comes up. And then he says these things to her about worship. And he wants to redefine worship in her mind. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, she's a lady, he's a guy. And somehow these two are not supposed to mesh but he says no I want to redefine this in your mind let me tell you what's hard it's hard to redefine the way people view worship because they believe God told them how to worship and they believe the way they worship is a principle not a practice and they get confused for example Does God prefer the Baptist worship over the Catholic worship? Every Baptist, good Baptist, know that God don't like no Catholic worship. God only likes, God don't like all the moves. God don't like all that. God wants you to do it the Baptist way. A good old Pentecostal can't believe that God would would like a Methodist worship. God could not. God, there's no way that God would ever like the way anybody worships like that. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. It's so easy to assume that God is a Baptist or a Catholic or a Pentecostal. It would shock you to know he's none of those. He is a God, is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God does not belong to your church. That may bother you. God did not tell you to go that long or that short. It's an offering to him. It's a gift when I gather, when I sing. It's a gift. I can sing for five minutes. I can sing for three minutes. He doesn't get upset. What i found is that culture defines for us worship. Our peers, our family, what we've been around defines worship for us. And we really believe God in heaven is enjoys everything we do. He, he celebrates the way we celebrate, and he says what we say. I'm even careful when I preach not to pray this prayer. Now, I'm not saying it's a wrong prayer. It's a practice, okay? But I normally don't pray this prayer. This is me. Lord, take my tongue and use it and let my words be your words. I want want to get out of the way and you become a vessel in me. And as I speak, let it be your words. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. Sort of. Let me get a little wrong part about it. Therefore, everything I say after that, I assume is God. You understand what I'm saying? Everything I say post that prayer, I now assume that I'm honoring, I'm saying exactly what God is saying. Now, I believe God is in heaven saying, I didn't say that. That's you. That's your mama taught you that one. You you got that from your Pentecostal culture. You got that from your Baptist culture. That's a Catholic talking. We are very influenced by our definitions of worship, and we are so influenced that it's very difficult. Right now, people are having a very difficult time. I know some pastors who said, look, we ain't streaming nothing now. We're going to cut that streaming off time because COVID's gone. They're going to have to come back in the house of God. And if you listen to the sermons, all of them have a little bit of, you better come on back in here, you know, in the, a lot of the sermons now. And that's because they're running up against their definitions. And for religious people, it's very difficult to uh, uh, for them to separate themselves Worshiping God is a is a statement of appreciation to God and you choose how you practice that. He gave you that freedom. He's not commanding you to do it in a way that everybody else does it. It can be different. It just needs to be worship. And here's what he requires. Two things. you ready. That it be number one, genuine. That they worship him, must worship him in truth. It can't be phony. I, I, uh, I used to sing preach when I, when I, that was my form of worship. And I was genuine when I did it. Uh-huh. Can you see? yeah, mm, that's how I was taught to preach. And, and, uh, they would be on the organ and you know, when you get to the end and they start down na, na na, and, 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 and they told me, bring it on home now, bring it on home, son, bring it on. And I was, <laughs> and I tried to bring it on home, you know, and, and, um, and then as time evolved, I felt that for me, uh, that wasn't my genuine way of expressing my worship or my sermon or message that, that I felt the sermon. I, I felt that was a way. But I, but I used to get confused sometimes, you know, because you're talking real fast and you start saying you just say, hey man, hey amen. And so you fill it in with a whole bunch of amens. Come on. Amen. Amen. See, really, I'm trying to catch up with my thoughts. That was my story, not yours. I'm talking about me, and so I decided the teaching was my style. And God is honored by my offering, and my 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 way. It's like with David and Goliath. Remember the story? He said, "You need to use you know I need to use these rocks. I'm a slinger." And and that was that was a matter of fact that wasn't an official way of fighting. By the way, you know they were called slingers. And David, David said, "No, I'm not a guy with the armor. I'm the guy to used the slingshot." And I've learned that I like to slow down. I like to like to look at things. I enjoy an analysis. I enjoy the details. I enjoy verse by verse. That was my style. When I heard that kind of teaching, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to learn to explain it verse by verse. I love the Greek, the Hebrew. I love all that stuff. That was my way of worshiping God. That was my style. And so I think it becomes really obvious to me that somehow in life, we start worshiping the way people tell us, and it's not genuine. But they, they worship him. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. Two ways. It must be genuine. And it must be spiritual. And the word spiritual doesn't mean uh, <laughs> that's another thing. People think that means okay, let's talk weird, let's talk deep, darling. God is moving. That's not spiritual. That's just. Cool talk, well, I don't know. It's, just, it's stylistic. It has nothing to do with it being spiritual. Nothing, it has nothing to do that is not a sign of spirituality. And I remember when I used to, when I first, I don't know if you've never had this experience, but when you're in this job and you're, and you're, call, and you're up and you're praying for people, the first time I prayed for people, I thought I had to go, shake or something. You know, I had to get, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making this, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, I, honest to God, I would do what I saw them do. Because I defined, defined that as spiritual and that the more intense I was, the more God was going to move, the more, you know, and, and, and if they fell down, I really thought that was God. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, and my definition became what I was around. And so when I pray for people and they didn't fall or they didn't shake or something, I thought, well, well, are you are you focused? I used to get a little bit mad with them. It's like, for example, when you lead worship, you know, um, you want people to shout. You want people to just fall out. And you fuss at them if they don't. Come on, get with it. Come on, y'all dead. Jesus died for, you know, and you start fussing at the whole audience and, and it becomes about making you happy about what they do rather than them just really catching it. And I'm not saying they don't need to be inspired to worship, but there's a difference between inspiring people to worship because you define worship as an important part of this experience. And when you define worship, as something that must be demonstrated to make you look good or feel good about you. And the same thing can happen in preaching. If I define my success by how loud you say amen to me. And, and so when I'm up here, if you're quiet like you are right now, I get mad. Were well, you in here? Are you dead? Come on with it. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Come on, talk to me. This is not a monologue. This is a dialogue. I need you. And I'm not against that either. I think that's a good practice. That's a style. But that's a style. But you don't learn that in math class, English class, science class. Nothing that pays you did you learn it that way. You did not go to the math class. and said, two times two. It's four. Come on, say four. They didn't do that. Nothing wrong with it. If you want to yell four, it's all good it is four right okay so, so 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 you sit there you sit there man and you i'm not i'm not against any of this i'm not saying it's wrong i mean some classes are really vibrant some college some some classes are really live nothing wrong with any of that but my point is if you define it one way and you define that's the only way you can genuinely worship that's the only way you can genuinely love god is that you come in here and stay i asked a guy this week I said most churches, if churches define worship in such a narrow box. For example, name a place that asks you to come and spend at least six hours a week in person every week. So if you come on a Sunday, it takes you about what an hour to get dressed? Is that right? About an hour? Okay, some two hours. You got kids, it's three, right? Okay. Let's just say two hours for fun, okay? From from the time you get up to the time you get to the door of the church. Two hours, and then by that's just to get there. That's to get there. Now, when you get there, you don't know how long you're going to stay. Two hours, hour and a half, three. Some of you said four. So that's two. Let's say that's two hours. Make it two hours. You know it's more than that most of the time, right? Two plus two. He said five. No, it, <laughs> you've been to a special church. Two plus two. That's four hours. And then to get back home, it's five. You got five hours. You got you got a good five hours in there and one visit to physically come. And I'm not against coming. Y'all need to come. Ain't nothing wrong with coming, okay? But I want you to understand. If I define that as worship, and I expect that of you every week, that's 20 hours a month. I expect that from you in order to prove your faithfulness. And if you miss, I ask you where you were. So I you start defining. When you see the pastor, you apologize. We used to bother people. They see me and say, "Pastor," they see me in the grocery store. I want you to know that here's how it starts. I want you to know I, I miss worship. I want you to know I'm sorry. I said, "Well, what you, you you're busy, right?" Yeah. I said, "Okay, Come next time." <laughs> I'm going to be here next week. You know, if you miss something, go online. There's plenty, plenty of places online you can see. And I I, and I, I wanted to remove from them the need. Or when they were going on vacation, they come and tell me they're going on vacation. I said, "Why, why are you telling me you going? To, I'm not going to tell you where I go. Why are you telling me when you go?" Because they define worship as you got to make sure he knows that you, you got to, you see, you know, you got to be in it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And it, it bothered people around me sometimes because I would have that attitude. But I don't define worship that way. Here's what I believe is amazingly true. If you name the restaurant that you like, I promise you, you go there because you like it. If you love it, you go there because you what? Love it, see? So my, my goal is, let me make something you love. Let me serve you some food that you talk about. Let's create an environment that you really enjoy. Let me not take up all your life. Let me not make me the center of your life. That's not why Jesus called me. If you remember the first sermon I did, I used Ephesians 4, right? He gave apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. My job is to perfect you so you can go do the work. It's not for for me to become the center of your life. It's It's for the kingdom to become the center of your focus. That's what this is about. And if I define worship that way, because I just believe ultimately if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, and, and hey, Brittany, good to see you out there. That's right, I see you, Mr. Brittany. But, but a lot of people, if, if I'm not careful, I will judge my success by how many seats are filled. I will judge my success by how many people are watching. And I'll define that as worship. Worship success is a big crowd, lively crowd, big noise, that's success. But here's what I think is interesting, and this is something I've been thinking about lately. I think if I'm not careful, I'll be pastoring groups and not individuals. And, I, and if you raise kids, you know the danger of having of, of, of leading a family and not individual kids, individual people, your wife, your son, your daughter individually. The relationship and leadership is about individual relationships with each one. It's not about providing for the family, but it's providing for Ricky Jr., Christina, Milani, Diane. It's the individuals in my life. That's what's important. And in in a church our size, what happens if you're not careful is you're pastoring a group. We call it overcoming by faith. And our definition of worship is we gather a bunch of you in a room, and that becomes our definition. Nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But I think it's more about helping individuals grow. It's shepherding sheep. It's small groups. It's intimate contact. It's redefining worship in the smaller settings. It's getting you to get together one-on-one. When we have our first Sunday, you come out. Come out to the small gatherings. Come out to the Bible studies. Come out to the small things. Engage in this. Go on demand. Stay connected. Link it and send it to a friend. Get together with small groups and talk about Jesus. That's what worship is. And, And to me, if I can get you to do that and you genuinely like it, guess what you do next time? You do it again and again and again and again and again. And that, to me, is really, really important. Now, let me take it a step further. Four observations about true worship that I want to make. Four simple observations. Here we go. Number one, true worship is noticed in James chapter in John chapter four. Listen to what it says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining, and this is in chapter four, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So please notice what Jesus was doing was noticed. True worship is noticed. A lot of people were coming. Worship stands out. If you, if you just genuinely worship God, people will notice what you're doing. They started noticing what Jesus was doing. Secondly, true worship was, this, I love this, outside. In chapter four, the, st- the chapter we're studying of John, the worship that began with this woman at the well was outside. That's important to say in this culture. Look at verse four. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, I want you to notice, he's outside. Where is he at? He's outside. Most of what you read in the Bible is outside. Almost every conversation... Almost every dialogue, not all of them, but most of them are outside. And in there were small groups of three, four, or five people. Most of what you have recorded, most of the conversation with the disciples were with 12 people. It wasn't the way we presented. That's what I want you to see. I want you to be clear. That was not, worship was not about, it wasn't even formal. They didn't dress up to do it, they just were talking as they were walking. And Jesus said, Hey, you guys follow me. I mean, did, a lot of the stuff that happened, he saw, people saw him if you can get in your mind that you can have a great worship service just walking with your kids down the street, God meets you where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm in the midst. So I want you to see what you're using to preach to people in a building was done outside of a building. What you're doing to preach to people in a formal dress-up suit and tie culture, they were casual. They they had on, uh, what do you, sandals. Many were barefoot. Feet, foot. Which one is it? Foot, feet. Professor, which is it? Foot, foot. <laughs> foot. It was amazing. I mean, you have to be—you have to be clear that sometimes our vision is almost cartoonish. It's been so filled with culture that we don't see the simplicity in interacting with God. So you ever—you ever, you ever pray to God, worship God, and you apologize? If you go like this, Father, I praise you, Lord Jesus. I is, I mean, I am God, really focused on you. I mean, you, Lord. It's like, get out of it. Go for it. Bad grammar and all. He knows you. I'm not supporting bad grammar. I'm simply saying, notice how formal we are in our thinking. But these guys were, these guys were praying outside, casually dressed, talking to Jesus, talking to, talk and interacting about worship. And that's what was noticed. The formality was not noticed. The genuineness was noticed. So true worship is noticed. True worship was outside, and true worship reaches across boundaries. Now, this is important. Verse 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You got some nerve.'" For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Now, I want you to see that worship here crosses boundaries. To me, that's really important. They say that, you know, church is one of the most segregated places in America on Sunday. Right. I want to say two things about that. I understand why it's like that in in a a bad sense. Um, I. uh, I. I find myself saying, hmm, I I probably am guilty of assuming that if God is going to define worship or or, or prove of worship, we all have to be of the same culture or a mixed culture, and I don't think that that's what Jesus um, is saying. I think he's saying, if you watch the story It can be two ways when you read the the, the New Testament. Here, Jesus crosses boundaries and says, we need to be willing to talk to women, Samaritans, to everybody. We need to be willing to talk to everybody, no matter who they are, everybody. We need to be able to get over, she's a woman. Get over, get over, that's not a black person, that's a white person. In this case, it was Jew and Gentile, Samaritans, and Samaritans were what they call half-breeds because they had intermarried with Jews and Gentiles, and it was just they were just not liked. They were considered traitors and whatnot. So you have this—you have this tremendous um, disdain, this incredible disdain—and so Jesus makes his business to go through, and he's now crossing a boundary that was amazing in this culture. Now, all you got to do is go to the Middle East now and you see how it's horrible. I mean, there is a horrible tension. There is a horrible, horrible tension that exists. There are big signs that says no Jews allowed. When I went to Israel the last time, there were signs and no Jews, literally no Jews allowed. You couldn't, the the driver who was giving us a tour said, I can't take you in there. You can go, but I can't go in. So there was, it's an amazing tension that still exists. But there's something about This moment where Jesus is saying worship should be, uh, it should cross boundaries. But I I don't think all worship that is um, predominantly white or black or male or female or whatever is always about prejudice. Sometimes it's about access. So I think that's why I want to say two things. One is it's important to have that mindset where you cross boundaries. But you have to understand when sometimes you don't have access to people who are different than you are. Some parts of the country, there's not that many black people in their communities. So they don't have an opportunity to mix that much. And to be honest with you, sometimes, for example, in certain cultures, they they find language to be a common bond. For example, I have friends who speak Spanish. And when I go to Spanish churches, there is the, they, they are in some settings, especially their first generation Spanish, they, they are more comfortable speaking their language. And I used to get offended. I remember I went out to dinner with some friends and they were talking and they start talking in Spanish. And I said, wait, that well, I'm here. And, and they, they, they weren't trying to be rude, but they would get to certain words or concepts that were common to them, and they would say, how do you say, how do you say? And they'd just, they'd just say it in Spanish, and then everybody at the table would understand it but me. But I didn't, un, I didn't understand not only what they were trying to say, because I didn't have the same common experience. Same thing in Brazil, where they speak Portuguese, 3% or 4% English, very little English. In some countries, some places you go, France, Europe, some places they do not speak English as a norm. And if you've never been around that, you can get offended and misunderstand it. So there are times where people migrate to their own culture for language reasons, cultural reasons, they're not necessarily biased. They don't have access to the mixture, but here's what should not be true. It shouldn't be, it should should never be true that you don't want anybody different than you to be with you. That's what's wrong. It's when we don't open our hearts to allowing people. I tell my white friends, be white. That's what you is. Be white. Be white as you can be. Cause you white. Be white. I'm black. I'm gonna be black as I can be. You Hispanic. Be Hispanic. You a female. My wife told me that one time. What well, don't you like, Rick? Is it I'm female. I'm a female. You married a female. <laughs> and so I have to embrace her culture. Embrace her uniqueness. The problem is when racism gets in and we don't accept people's culture. But Jesus is modeling worship should cross boundaries, but it doesn't have to force every church to accept all worship styles. I see people doing this. You're trying to pretend you like certain kind of music. If you don't like it, you don't like it. And that's nothing. that doesn't mean you're racist or bad. It just means that worship can be different. But you should be willing, when the opportunity presents itself, you should be willing to cross the boundary. So if a bunch of Hispanic people moved in our neighborhood or came to our church, we should be willing to embrace them fully. And it should be any race, doesn't matter what race it is, and let me say, what's really powerful when you have the experience that we don't have that melting pot thing you have in Savannah, Georgia, where we are, like you have in L.A. So when I was pastoring in L.A. and I was doing both churches in L.A., we had Indonesians, you have Chinese, you have. I had in the one church that I led while I was leading both churches at the same time uh, for about three years. I had we had in L.A., we had about, I mean, 10 different different ethnic groups and all of them worship differently. And so sometimes when you're trying to lead, you have to learn how to embrace everybody. And that's what Jesus is saying. Cross the boundary. When the boundary is in front of you and there's an opportunity to take, take, take a big step, don't become a racist and push against it. Embrace it. And that's what he models for them. So they come back and they see Jesus talking to the woman. They go, oh, my God, he's talking to a woman. Oh, and, and she's a Samaritan. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. And so they're, they're shocked. But Jesus said, this is the time when I need to. And I'm going to tell you what it, show, it shows us. It shows us where you are and how mature you are. I don't try to make people who are not. I try to force myself to be around people who are not like me, who don't speak my language, who are not, um, who, who don't think like I think. I was in a conference the other day. A guy stopped me, and he just he grabbed my arm. And he didn't speak English, and he starts saying, he, says, hey, "He said, I said, I said, you know, so we found the tra- guy, another guy. Said, you speak English? Come here!" And he came over. I said, "Translate for me, would you please?" And then he said, "I want you to come and speak for us in Colombia. We've heard you speak for years, and I want you to come to Colombia and speak for us in a conference." I said, "Well, so so my point was, see, see, that, that, it's amazing how if you if you're open, people. I, I'm, I've had the privilege." of crossing boundaries. And you know what's amazing? It's nothing like talking with the translator and the whole room is crying and laughing with you and afterward wanting to take your picture and smile with you, and they're not Americans. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like being in Indonesia and seeing hundreds of people, thousands of people who who don't speak your language, as a first language, stop you in the mall, pull you aside. I I mean, there's so many moments, some uncomfortable because I, I didn't understand what they were saying, but that's what this was. Crossing boundaries is uncomfortable. It's not always easy and God can't use everybody to do it because they're not willing. But this is what Jesus said worship was about. Then lastly, he said true worship is infectious. After Jesus talks to this woman, and, and there's this conversation, the Bible said, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I never did. You know, Jesus had confronted her about her, her romantic life because she had a whole bunch of men and had been married several times. And, and Jesus asked her, say, so who are you living with now? She said, and she said, yeah. Because he said the one you with now is not your husband. So there was this amazing moment. But after confronting her and saying it to her, and talking with her, and loving her, and being kind to her, she leaves her water pot, which she came to get water, right? And she runs and says, Hey, I met somebody. And then what's interesting is the text goes on to say a lot of people came and wanted to hear Jesus on their own. And so what you see is true worship is infectious. He said, then leaving her water pot jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything i never ever did. <laughs> Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30. Then they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I'd ever did. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many of them became believers. And then they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now. That is worship. Notice it's infectious. Notice it's genuine. Notice it's spiritual. Notice it's real. And it's not phony and it's not in the building. Not putting that down. I'm I'm saying it's not it's not it's no conference. It's spontaneous. You want to have your church grow? Let me tell you, get your church to grow. Get people excited. Excited people talk. And when they talk, they go win other people. Now, I want to pause right there and I'm going to entertain questions about worship. Now, this has been a fun conversation for me. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I'm a big worshiper. I'm a big singer. Yeah, I sing. I shout. I dance. I I do all that good stuff. But I believe that it it is it does not have to fit into a narrow box. So, I'm going to open the floor for questions, things you want to ask about worship, things you wonder about. Brother Orlando is in the back. Hey, Brother Orlando. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. He got you got a deep voice like a radio announcer. Don't hello, hello. hello. <laughs> He's an amazing guy. And so, um I'm going to have to get a picture of Orlando and put it up so when I say his name, y'all can see Orlando. But anyway, <laughs> give me some questions, you guys, sir, about worship online. Now, if you've got a question, type it in the chat. And my screen is kind of going on here, so I can't see your name. But if you are, if you're online and you have, Orlando can see you. I can't see you right now. But if you have a, a question, Orlando, let's, and if you're here, anybody in here have a question? You got one here? Okay. Let's do one in the building first. Okay. You want to come to the microphone right here? And then if you come to the microphone and ask your question, then we'll go to one online and we'll let some people online ask some questions. So, what is your question, my friend.
2: Hey, Pastor Rick. Hey. Um, my question is, I came from an environment where they did, uh, they did uh, speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And I guess because if you did not experience that, it felt like that wasn't a portion of worship. However, I do remember going to a Zusa conference one time here and I started crying and laughing and whatever the message it was for me, and I can remember Miss Diane just holding me, and she was singing to me the whole time. like It was like a baby, and she was just holding me. Mm-hmm. But later on, whatever the message was, it, I knew what the message was, but I didn't receive it then. Right. So how do you feel about when people speak in tongues? They say you have to have someone to interpret that in order for it to actually be.
0: That deserves a whole teaching, and I'll respond to that. Thanks for the question. Um, I believe, in, I believe the Bible teaches uh, speaking in tongues that you can't deny it. Acts chapter 2. Um, and then you go to 1 Corinthians 14, there's a lot of verses uh, that talk about it. And all throughout the book of Acts, you have a ton of examples of verses that talk about speaking in tongues. So, but I, I think that's a form of worship. But it is not the only form of worship. I think it's an important form of worship for those who experience it. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all but beyond the tongues, I would that you prophesy. So I think, I think that that the expression of praying in tongues introduced in Acts chapter 2 is a valid gift. But I also think that Pentecostals have not done a good job of explaining it. And uh, there's a lot more I can say about it. So in short, I think it's important. I think it's valuable for those who experience it. But he also said in 1 Corinthians 12, do all speak with tongues? The answer is no, they don't. And I think the, the reason for that is culture, experience, comfort. There's a whole lot of reasons to, for that. So it is a form of worship that I believe God honors, uh, but there are many people who will never experience that because he says, do all have the gift? They don't. And again, that's because of culture, exposure, experience. Sometimes people are just uncomfortable with it. Um, But that's the short answer for that. We'll talk more about that another time. Somebody else have a question. Orlando, you got, anybody else here got a question before I go to, anybody else online? Okay, Orlando, what you got for me, sir?
1: Thank you, Pastor. Um, The first question, how do you broaden the definition of worship beyond the
0: traditional view? I think you have to be exposed. I think if, you, if you're if you exposed to Baptist worship, you will define all worship by just that. Everything has to be done that way. There is no other way to do it. You have to, if you define worship as shouting, dancing, then, and that's all you know, then you will define worship that way. Some people define worship by the length of the service. And so that's how you define it. So if you're exposed to something else, that's where you can broaden your definition. But the the, tra- the trap is you can get caught in an assumption that this is, this is what God wants me to do and the only way for me to do it. Do you know what's interesting? Uh, you know, asked Orlando, but a lot of people struggle with leaving their church, for example, because they feel that they leave their church and only longer worshiping God. And so very few, a very small percentage of people will leave their denomination they were born into. Catholics are examples of they just, they got to stay connected because they define that as worship. But some people, when they experience other forms of worship, then they broaden that and they're willing to reconsider. So that would be my answer, Orlando. I think exposure is important. I think theology is important. Uh, Having a broader knowledge of the Bible, um, that's what happened with me. Um, the more I learned about the word, the more I learned that my practice could change, that I didn't have to necessarily do it that way. Uh, and and that's, that's, again, hard for, it's hard for religious people because they think well, the way I do it is the way it has to be and there's no other way to do it. You another question for me, sir?
1: Yes, one of our YouTube viewers asked, how do you teach someone how to worship?
0: I think the best way is by example and by cultural environment, your environment, if you, if you're around worshipers, you tend to pick it up. You know, if you're around readers, you tend to pick up reading. If you're around people who fight, you pick up, guess what, fighting. <laughs> if you're around people who cuss, guess what you do? You can say cuss, say bad words, right? <laughs> Once you're around, if you're around people who are not afraid of education, um, you have a different view. My wife's family is very uh, comfortable with education. I was not quite as comfortable. Um, and so I noticed right away her approach to it, even when we had kids, I saw how comfortable she was. And the same thing is true, I think, for worship. If you are around worship, it's comfortable for you. But if you come to a setting, i give you an example. When I first went to a church service, a Pentecostal service, and they were, um, they were, they, they, they came, I, I never, I walked in the door, right? And you got to understand, I was unchurched. I didn't go to church until I was about 15. So I had seen one service. My grandmother went to a holiness church in Florida, and I remember they were dancing around, and they all had on white outfits, and they were dancing, and they was at the altar. you just know, call it tarrying, right? And they was be, be slobber coming out of their mouth, and, and I said, ooh, grandmama, they spitting all over the floor. And she, say, she said, no, they they, they tarrying, son, they're tarrying. I said, I said, I said, she said, all their sins coming out. I said, they got a whole lot of sins. I remember saying that. <laughs> I didn't understand. <laughs> That's my first experience, right? That's what I remember as a kid. I remember that. And then I remember when I when I went to church, uh, uh, with my family member invited me to church. It was a Friday night, and I, and he said I came in town. He said, "Won't you go to church with us, Rick?" I said, "Sure, I'll go." So, because I, I used to go to the gym on Sunday. That's what I used to do. That's my church. You go to the gym and shoot. And I remember, um, so we went to church, and I said I walked in the door, and, and the guy who drove us to church, he he, you know, I, I I he went to the front, and he pulled out a guitar. I didn't know I didn't know he pulled out a guitar. And all of a sudden it went, ding, 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 And I jumped. I said, oh my God. I was, I, I mean, and then they started, they started jumping. I mean, they was going. I mean, they was rolling. And I said, okay, okay. I stood up. I didn't know what to do. And I start. I mean, I didn't know what I'd never seen this up close. You know, so they was jumping. I said, woo, woo. I said, okay. So I what I did was I found me one person, her name is Deborah. Debbie, I still know it. I saw her another day. And Debbie was, Debbie was, Debbie was, Debbie was sitting, uh, and I just, I said, well, I'll do what she does so she was going this way. I said, I'll go that way. So I was, and she clapped. I mean, I was totally, I was, it was awful. And so then I said, now this is now, I'm going to tell you what I was thinking in my head. They on some bad drugs. Good God Almighty. That's what I said. I, I thought that was my personal interpretation of what was happening. It wasn't in my definition worship. They were on bad drugs. That's what I said in my head. And then the guy came and sat next to me, a guy named Paul. He came and he knelt down next to me. And, you know, how they get down and they pray and he starts shaking his head. And I scooted over. I said, oh, God, he's really on some bad drugs. I mean, I mean, I was I was not I didn't know what was going on. Honest to God. You see, if you're not in church, you don't understand. I mean, I really I really was confused. And uh, and then I heard the message and they were talking about God. And I had I'd already, you know, had a moment with God prior to this. And so I'd already kind of prayed to God to forgive me or whatever. And I'd already gotten saved, didn't know it. But when I but, but that night when they preached, whatever they preached, it touched me and I said, OK, I can, I, I can you know, serve God. You know, I, I was saying, but I said, I ain't doing all that. I remember saying, I'm not doing all this here, you know, serve God, because, you know, then they get around you and you go down to the altar. They get on both sides of you and they say, call Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Anybody know about this? Anybody know about this? Some of you said, no, you don't know about this. You know about this? Yeah, they get on both sides of you and they're they going to tarry with you, get you, you know, break through. You know, speaking tongues. you know, it'll get you, get you. And I would say, okay, this is getting tiring after a few minutes of this. I have been here by 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, it was an experience for me. And uh, so, anyway, I don't know where, how I got off on all that, but that's your fault. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the question I was asking?
1: What, where was I? I got lost.
0: What? How do
1: you teach someone
0: how yeah, to worship? By example, that's what I want to say. So, so they taught me that was worship. And my definitions um, grew over, over the years. I learned that wasn't the only way to worship. And I'm not making fun of them because they were wonderful people and so I love them today. But I'm saying that was what I was taught. So it's taught by example. It's also taught by theology teaching. And what I'm doing today is an example of it. All right, got another question? What you got?
1: Yes, question from Myron. Does God make it mandatory to attend church slash worship? And is this annotated or noted in the Bible.
0: Yeah, the Bible said, Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. I think that's exactly right. You can Google that. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. The Bible is clear that in Hebrews you need to fellowship and be with people. I think the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they continued fellowshipping and breaking of bread. I think coming together is important in person. I believe that. But I also think that there are other ways to express your worship. And God has expanded that through technology because I believe we together right now. So, but I think there's nothing like though hand in flesh and being with people, and, and and I think it doesn't have to be in a typical church setting. It can be in a small group, but I think you need people to help you grow. The reason I know this is true: Acts chapter, Acts chapter. I'm sorry, Ephesians four eleven said he gave apostles, pastors, teachers. God anointed people to help you grow. You can't grow by yourself. I don't think you can, you can become a doctor by yourself. I don't think you can become a lawyer by yourself. I don't think you can become a pharmacist by yourself. And I don't think you'll become a strong Christian by yourself because that's not the way God defined it. So if you isolate yourself away from other people and other Christians and other believers, you're not going to grow well. You'll grow crooked. I think you'll develop mindsets, habits, attitudes that are unhealthy. And I think there's something good about rubbing up against people. I really believe in that. I am better today because I fellowship with people. I'm a big fellowshiper. I make a habit of engaging people of my faith, and I, I have people that I call for advice. So the short answer is, no, you need to be together. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Acts 241 is a good example of it. All right. Next question, sir.
1: What do you do to prepare your heart and spirit for worship?
0: Oh, man, that's easy. Pray, sing, um, get alone. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, meditating person. Um, uh, first thing, I have a big, I'm big on in first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Uh, I try not to cut televisions on in the morning. I try not to get my mind first on all the things, even though I have a real cool way that I check everything within five minutes or 10 minutes. The news, uh, my, my my resources, I just have this real cool way. I do it real quick, and so I. but I don't do that. I, I, I'm big on God being on the front of my day. And so that's how I prepare my heart for worship. Uh, I, I give him that space, and I like I like it to be uninterrupted. I like it to be without having necessarily, if I can, a time limit. I'm I'm big on I'm full time in the ministry, so I make sure I have I have I have more time than you. So I I have a lot of time. I I mean I'll put my time on the clock against anybody's time on the clock. I am a big worshiper. You live with me, you'll know that. Uh, so that's how I prepare my heart, uh, man. It it, it it's, it's a joy for me. So, all right. Can I worship God at work? Sure. Worship God everywhere. You know, pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible's talking about. You know, you can always have a prayer. And that's kind of another thing I do. I, I live with that constant sense of his presence and, and and worship. And if you could hear my thoughts, it's constant. There's a constant flow of engaging God, praying, thinking through scriptures. That's part of how I Live, I enjoy that, and it keeps me balanced and keeps me off off of bad roads. Um, but I have fun. I think about other stuff. I read other stuff. I read sixty percent secular, forty percent Christian. Uh, I just said that out loud for you. But I read a lot of stuff that it's not Bible. I read a lot of stuff. I believe in research. I, I read about money, finances. I meditate on them a lot, but I keep Him at the center, uh, and it just oh man, it keeps me it keeps me right in the right spot. So. That's my answer to that.
1: Final question. What does it mean to worship the Lord in spirit and truth?
0: It means to be genuine. And it means for it to be spiritually or godly focused. That's what spirit means. It has to do with Numa, the idea of being God-focused. It's, it's not earthly focused. This is all about him. I, it, it's, it's not just um, a religious expression of a commitment to God. It's a deep personal devotion to God. Um, if, if I were to parallel it, when I, when I think of Diane, there is a place my heart goes that is different than any other thought. It is um, it's, it's a, a place of, um, of depth. She said something to me one time that was really interesting. She said, you know, sometimes I grab your hand because I want to hold it. Sometimes I grab your hand because I, it makes me feel secure, and sometimes I don't know why I grab your hand. But there's a connection. There's a there is a moment when she'll grab my hand, or uh, this this you can just feel it. God made us uh, body, soul, and spirit. I believe that there's something that happens when we open our hearts to uh, that part we don't say out loud, that hidden um, inner reach that happens. Um, I, and I'm, I know I'm paralleling to this because to me it, it fits. I was getting ready to speak in front of a big crowd, and it was. Um, I just felt nervous. I felt a little bit nervous, a little uncomfortable. I was in the middle of the country, up near Chicago someplace. And I remember I was at a big conference, and she was in, the, in this particular environment. She could sit next to me, so she sat next to me, and they were introducing me. And she grabbed my hand. This is true. She grabbed my hand, and she said, you are the baddest man in the land. I felt something. I mean, I'm telling you, it was man. It was like it was like something was plugged up in my soul, and I said, "I am the baddest man in the land." <laughs> I mean, I'm ready to preach now, man. I'm ready to go, boy. Bring it on. I mean, and and I believe that God gave us that. You get it, right? Sometimes I can be preaching up here, and you feel something. You know, it's God reaching into your soul. So now, I, I just I believe that you you enter in, and God joins that where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm in the midst. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I'm telling you now, you want to try it out, try it out. You begin to talk to God. You begin to worship God. You begin to sing, great is thy faithfulness. You begin to worship his name. I believe I I believe something happens. I think all heaven stands up and sings with you. I believe the presence of God will show up in a strong way. And let me tell you, that's more powerful than a choir or an usher board. Some of my best worship has happened by myself. Just yes. me and the living God, and it's life transforming. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brother, present your bodies. You present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice, and it's got to be holy, which means it's set apart and acceptable. It's the way he wants you to bring it to him and, and unto God. And here's what he says, be ye transformed. In that process of worship, your mind gets transformed. Where do you think I get these sermons from? Sometimes I, I was just, I was sitting someplace and, I, and the idea came to me while I was worshiping God. Change your definitions, you'll change your results. Stop defining things so much. You won't be so offended all the time. Stop being bothered. If you define church narrowly, you, if you define money this way, if you define worship this way, if you define family, like I'm gonna talk about next week, this way, then you're gonna have a result you don't want. But if you can say, you know, maybe I could define this differently. Maybe I can see this different. I was sitting there the other day, and I had this sermon I'm going to do. It's called "It's Finished." Said it with me. Come on, say "It's Finished." Let me ask you a question. See, this, this is how worship does. So I was just praying, you know, and I was sitting there, and I was I had I done everything. Clothes washed, house clean, sermons done. Okay, everything 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 that I could think of was done. Just about pretty much. You ever had that feeling? And 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 it came to me. In that moment, when you finish, then I can give you something new to do. If you finish. There's something about being finished. So oftentimes when I come to a moment of boredom or a moment of of silence, the Holy Spirit, he engages me. And I'm telling you, my worship goes to another level. So I've said a lot tonight. I hope you were blessed tonight. I hope those of you who watched tonight were blessed. And I hope that you would allow the Holy Spirit. to Let this be a moment of worship and grace for you. I want you all to stand with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray a, a few minute prayer. We've been talking about worship. Let's worship for a minute. And I want to invite God to do something in you today. I want to invite God to give you a touch today. I want to invite God to bring healing to your life. I want to invite you to let God just do something in you that you need done. And I'm not just talking about a religious touch. I'm talking about a transforming moment. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And I'm telling you, I was a a young boy standing on the corner of Western Avenue in Los Angeles, California, and I didn't even know about church. And I met Jesus in a way that I had not known him. he He came upon me when I was sitting there thinking about him, and he met me. So, Father, I pray today in Jesus' name for those who need to meet you, those who come to this moment and they need a life-changing experience. May the Holy Spirit bring healing to their bodies, healing to their minds, healing to their emotions. May they learn how to redefine things. Stop being so offended. Stop being so bothered. Stop being so angry. Healing and blessing, grace and strength. And, Father, we thank you and praise you for the power of your word. And how your word alone can bring healing. I pray for those families who are struggling. I pray for the marriages that are struggling. I pray for the children who are struggling. I pray for the finances for those who are going through right now. I pray, God, that this economy, whatever happens in it, that you'll let them ride above it in Jesus' name. As inflation goes up, their blessings will go up. You will provide, God, what no one else provides. And may they learn to worship you and change their definition. May they learn to change their view and lift their hearts and their hands to you in celebration of your power, your ability to bring something in their life they need. If they need a relationship, if they're in a bad relationship, I declare healing, I declare blessing, I declare power and victory in their life in the name that's above all names. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, see, I define ending on time okay.
1: <laughs> I
0: don't think that's a bad thing. Thank you for the hour. Thank you for being with us today. I pray it's a blessing for you. If you're watching this live, thank you for being with us. If it's a blessing to you to be posted by tomorrow, and you can link it and send it to a friend. If you don't have the app, download the Overcoming by Faith Ministries app. That's the name of it, Overcoming by Faith Ministries. Download that app, and you get all kind of great stuff, and you can, you can do these. It's a blessing. So please... Please, please, thank you for all of you who support us, all of you who come. Remember, first Sunday is our gathering all together. Everybody come out every first Sunday. You have two choices, 9 o'clock and then 11 o'clock is our outside. You have you can drive in drive-in service or you can come inside at 9. That's going to be the first Sunday of every month. Also, next week we have our last part to this four-part series, and we're going to do family next week. I'm going to talk about redefining family, and that's a big topic. So we'll have bring your questions. Got a lot to talk about. And I promise you, as your kids grow older, you got to redefine stuff. As you grow older, you got to redefine stuff. I'm 64, I'm redefining things. My marriage is redefining, but it's a lot of redefining going on next week. So I'll see you then. We're out of time, people. It's 10 o'clock. Bye-bye. See y'all later. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.